amazing to me that in five verses, Paul can come up with eight identifiable aspects of the gospel that we can celebrate. And that was really the point of last week, is to celebrate this gospel that has changed our life, assuming that it has changed your life. Today, I just want to, we're going to look at another attribute. I think there's going to be many sermons uh, over the next uh, number of weeks where we're kind of hitting a different as- attribute of the gospel. But for today, we're just going to look at one. And I think it's the one that really kind of cap- encapsulates what Paul's trying to accomplish, or at least what's, he's explaining what's taking place in his life and what he's seeking to see, see take place in the Galatians' life. And that is this. No other gospel has the power to reorient a person's life to please God. No other gospel has the power to reorient, reorient a person's life to please God. I want to ask you this morning to envision uh, it's a contraption you may or may not have seen before. It's something that the pilots, uh, and I think it, I'm assuming it's Air Force, Navy, uh, any, any uh, fixed-wing uh, pilot, maybe even helicopter pilots, they have to go through this training, and, and you, I've seen it portrayed in a couple different movies, but it, you're basically, you sit in a cage, it's at a slant, and it, and it goes down into a swimming pool, and the goal of the exercise is for the person sitting in the, in the cage uh, to be thrust into that water and be flipped upside down and disoriented. Now I'm looking to see, I know there's a couple pilots in the room, anybody actually been through this? Let me just see. Any, you, you, okay, I see one. I didn't know you were a pilot, but I know you've been through it. That's cool. All right? It's kind of a freaky exercise. Um, I don't know how I would respond. I do remember they, they say that as when you go under the water, one thing you need to look for to orient yourself is that when you blow out air, bubbles only go up. And that's a helpful little trick for them. But the intent is to say... When you are caught up in the most devastating, probably, event of your life, and you have crashed into the water, you are in need of reorientation to what's going on, or you will not survive. And as I look at this word, reorient, and as I think about there's no other gospel has the power to do that in my life, I'm wondering this morning if there's anyone in this room that would say, I need a little reorientation. Now, let's not look at it from the college perspective of uh, I need to go to orientation and learn the same thing I've learned every year that I've learned or maybe high school and you go through it. Now, this is the idea of figuring out which way is up in life. What is going on in our lives today where we're saying, I need the power of the gospel to set me right. Now, we just sang a song, and this is that when I said I wanted to get to something, and I didn't say this for during the first service, but it is uh, in my father's house. And you know what? I think I'm actually able to just go ahead and bring it up. So let, let's see if I can do it this way. Bear with me. This is new. Okay. We're going to do this. There we go. I just need to go back. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. When we think of that, um, that's not the exact slide. That's the, there we go. We just need to go one more over. There we go. All right. In my father's house, there's a place for me. This is the truth in scripture. 
this is added. This is something that just, we do the morning service, the first service. And there was something missing for me in the morning service. I shared this in between the services. There's just something that just wasn't quite on with me while I was preaching. So as I'm greeting, uh, gripping and grinning in between services and getting to know people, this is going through my mind, this is going through my mind. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe I'm in need of reorientation in this very moment. As a believer in Jesus Christ, what's going to set me right for this sermon? Because this particular sermon is for you in this room right now. You weren't here for the earlier one, but when we sang this song, in my father's house there's a place for me. This is something that we, we rejoice in. This is something that as Christians we sing and we say, I am a child of God. It orients us to our current circumstances in relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are a child of God. God, we know that Jesus said, if I, if I, if I say there's a place for you, I'm going to go and I'm going to bring you there, right? I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow through. And, and then this, this idea of, I am chosen. This is true of every single Christian in the room. I'm chosen. I'm not forsaken. That's a reorientation. That's someone that's going through life and saying, I'm not worth God's time. He says, no. Believer, you're not forsaken. You're chosen. I am who God says that I am. Are you here this morning in need? Are you in need of reorientation? We just sang this wonderful song, and I told the first service, I mean, I would love to just bellow this song out. But without instruments drumming down or addending my voice, I'm I'm just not sure how it would sound, but I would be passionate about this particular song at this particular moment because I am chosen. I'm not forsaken. I need that this morning. I am who God says I am. I need that this morning, and so do you. God is for me. He's not against me. And I am who you say I am. And so when we sing these words, folks, listen, we have already been prepped for God to do a work in our lives. lives. All right, so as we come to service, there are those that will come... uh, just for the music, because they love to sing the music. They'll come just for the sermon, because they like the sermon. They'll be coming for those that will come with the intent of, of, of just enjoying every aspect of what's going on. But some of us in the room are in need of, no, I need to know this for me. Well, how do we know this? Well, I think that's what's going to help us as we get into, and I'll just do it this way to be faster. We need to know this. There's no other gospel that has the power to reorient a person's life to please God. I, I wrote this and I realized my first draft of this was wrong. I said no other gospel has the power to reorient, reorient a person's life. And I thought to myself, no, there are false gospels out there that reorient people's lives in a way that does not please God. But we are not focused on those wrong gospels. Paul's addressing it. We are focused on the one true gospel, the no other gospel. And the fact is, there's no other gospel that has the power to reorient your life and mine for, for the, the purpose of pleasing God. Because it's God's gospel. 
And so I ask you to consider this morning, has the, has the power of the gospel that we say is for every person at every moment, it has, has the power of the gospel actually reoriented you in your relationship with God? Has it set you right? Has it, had you know which way is up when you talk about eternity? I'm not talking about just the circumstances of life in this moment. I'm talking about in the eternal nature of God, do you know that you are reoriented and that you will spend eternity with Him? Because the gospel is what does that for you. It's the power of God unto salvation. And we encourage each person this morning who, who does not have that reorientation event, that salvation that comes through faith in Christ, if that's not happened to you today, the gospel has the power to do that. There are the majority of us in the room, we'd say we're, we're Christians and we're in need of a, a re- reorientation this morning. The circumstances of life, the things of life are weighing us down. We're confused by whatever might have happened or not have happened. And, and, and the power of the gospel is that power that can set you right this morning as you come here and take, take in the truth of who you are in Christ. Let the gospel kind of bring you to the point of knowing which way is up today. And when you leave here, leave in knowing the power of the gospel in your life. So we're going we're gonna to look at verses 10 through 15 first, and we're just going to see three ways Paul's life was reoriented. This is Paul giving a testimony. I could have easily have come up here and given you a testi- testimony this morning or asked a few of you to come up. And testimonies are just that. They're telling us what, uh, what's going on in other people's lives, and we're attributing that work to God. God is doing a work in lives. God is always doing a work in life. I want you to consider all the, all the, some of the characters within Scripture and how God has, has worked. Think of Abraham for a moment. I'll love this up here. No other gospel has the power to reorient a person's life to please God. Abraham's life pleased God. God has been reorienting people's lives since the fall began. But certainly you can look at Abraham, who was a Gentile, who God chose and redeemed for himself and, and caused him to live such a life. And he blessed him and he said, your descendants will, will, uh, will be numerous and there will be one particular descendant that will bless all nations, right? We're talking about Jesus Christ. Fast forward, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and you have uh, Joseph comes on the scene. And Joseph is a brat when he's a young kid. And, uh, and he's ve- he basically, uh, his brothers hate him. They sell him into slavery. Life is, is not the way he had envisioned it. But fast forward to the end of it, not the end of his life, but the end of that story, and you see that the, the brothers, when they are face-to-face with the number two person in all of Egypt, their brother Joseph, They are fearful fearful of his retribution. He says, listen, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. There had been a reorientation in Joseph's life. Yes, he is portrayed as a faithful person uh, throughout the, the story. But I'm telling you, I don't think he was praising God the moment he got sold into slavery. I don't think he was necessarily in sin at that moment, but he had clarity of God's purpose and God's work in his life after all the stuff of imprisonment and betrayal and all those things. And he says, no, in my reoriented status, I know that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You could go on to the prophets. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he did not enjoy life. 
I'm telling you, he did not enjoy life. I believe it was Jeremiah that at one point was thrown into a cistern and was up to probably his, his thighs in muck and mire and couldn't sit down, couldn't stand, and his, his body was screaming at him. David was reoriented. He was faithful. He fell into sin. He was, reorient, he was reoriented to a right relationship. He said, God, renew a right relationship. Spirit within me. There we go. <laughs> so like, ah, you know, don't, don't, don't miss the verse. So many characters. Well, today Paul is giving us a testimony of God, how God reoriented him from who he was to whom God wanted him to be and how he's desiring that for the Galatians. And as we incorporate, as we read this, uh, this text, God wants this for us too. So let's see three ways Paul's life was reoriented, and maybe you'll see some similarities in your life. Maybe you'll see others that will come to mind. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life as we look at these. So first, before we get into these three ways, we need to remember the context of Paul's words. Paul's words, as we finished last week in verse 9, he says, listen, as, as he said before, so when he taught the Galatians, he said this. Certainly he said it in the previous verse. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, than what you have received. Let him be accursed, anathema, condemned to hell for eternity. There's not much stronger language than Paul could say. And we covered that last week, but I will say this. In light of this strong language, all right, he goes on to say, for I do now persuade men, or, or, or for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So let's just start off here and understand that, that uh, this, this first way that Paul's life was reoriented is that he went from being a man-pleaser to a God-pleaser. Right? We, we, we looked at it. Uh, he's saying, you know, we already covered verse 9. Harsh words. He says, for do I now persuade men? He, I don't think you could be accused of persuading men, of seeking the favor of men with just telling them that, listen, I think it's worthy of people being condemned to hell if they preach a wrong gospel. Paul is not driven by seeking the favor of men. And that's his point. His point is, I'm not driven by... I, I, elsewhere, he says, I do want to persuade men... For the, for the Jews, I'll become a Jew. For the non-Jews, I'll become a non-Jew. For the lawgiver, you know, for the one under the law, I'll be as one under the law. For the ones un, not under the law, I'll be not under the law, but I'll be under the law of Christ, which is, this is 1 Corinthians text, I believe, which is the idea that, that uh, I will be all things to all people that I might by some means save some. He was singularly focused on the gospel. And he's saying, here is my gospel, and that's what his focus is. It's not some other gospel. It's the one true gospel. My gospel is not motivated by pleasing men. Not going to happen in Paul's life. I'm not seeking to persuade them or God. I'm not trying to somehow curry God's favor with this harsh speech. I'm not trying to, hey, listen, listen. But as we look at this, there's these two words, persuade and please. They're, they're different words in the Greek, but they're very similar and the idea of these two words are building off each other. And, it's, and, and Paul is just saying, listen, do I seek to please men? The answer is no. Why? What are the consequences of pleasing men as a motivation for life and ministry? He says, for if I still please men, 
I would not be a bondservant of the Christ. Let's just work at that, consider that word still. For if I still pleased men. Wait a minute, that, that's bringing us to the back. There's a temporal word here, both the now, for do I now persuade men. He's saying in the now, in the current, as I write this letter, Galatians, am I now seeking to, to win you over and, and somehow curry your favor and, and somehow uh, um, uh, just uh, make, make you think that I'm just this wonderful person? He goes, that's not what I'm about. But he said, listen, for if I still pleased men. Paul's saying he used to be guilty of this. When was Paul guilty of pleasing men. Well, he's going to explain it in a moment. But he says the consequence for pleasing men is the idea that I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And we think of being a servant and somehow that somehow makes us a low, a low status on the, on the social uh, spectrum and people are not in favor of. This is where we need a reorientation. Paul is not saying somehow his life has been, been diminished by the gospel. He's saying that he's glorifying God because of the gospel, because he actually owns this idea that I am a bondservant of Christ. I am compelled to do what God, what Jesus Christ wants me to do. He has saved me. He has redeemed me. For if I still please men, and the idea is there, I'm not. If I was guilty of that, I wouldn't be what I want to be. And that's a bondservant of Christ. As we go through this, I mean, I might, I might just stop and ask you the question, but ask yourselves the question. Is being a Christian a doldrum to you? Is being a servant of Christ is somehow that beneath your, your Christian status? Are you exalting in the fact that you have the opportunity to live out your life in such a way to God's glory and, and other people are going to be blessed and you may be cleaning up vomit. You may be, uh, you may be st stuck doing the most horrific things that you could imagine in your life, but because you're motivated by the gospel to do these things, because you're motivated by the love that God has put in you, and you want to love others for God's glory, then isn't it not beautiful? And Paul says it's beautiful. I'm a bondservant of Christ, Paul says, and it's beautiful. Some sort of a change took place in Paul's life from the time that he was a men's man pleaser until the time that he wasn't. So we'll see that fleshed out as we go further. But the second way Paul's life was reoriented is he went from persecutor to preacher. We all love the, the powerful testimonies of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you. Paul's got a pretty tremendous one. Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, right? Didn't happen to me. Probably didn't happen to you. We rejoice in the salvation of those who have been coming out of a drugged, uh, maybe a, a life a bit, uh, um, just controlled by drugs or, or other, some, other some form of sin, and we see this great salvation. We hear the testimony of those who are on death row, and, and they come to faith in Christ, and they are redeemed, their brothers and sisters in Christ, even though they're guilty of the most horrific sins because... Sin has been paid for by Christ, and when, when we come to faith in Him, it's all forgiven. And so Paul says, I went from a persecutor to a preacher of the gospel. So let's look at verse 13 first, because he does it uh, differently, but we're going to go to the, uh, the, this persecution uh, aspect. He says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. Talking to the Galatians, they knew this, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. If Paul is guilty of anything, he's guilty of being passionate, right? He is a persecutor of the church. 
without a doubt. But notice, he's a persecutor of the church beyond measure. Uh, I've been doing a lot of construction, type, not construction, carpentry, uh, trim work type things, doing a lot of cutting, and you, me- what, you measure twice, cut once, I measure five times. And sometimes I still manage to cut something so short. Uh, thankfully, God redeemed it. It can be used somewhere else. But I was like, how did I do that? I failed to measure properly. But this is saying beyond measure. I have a 25-foot tape, measuring tape. When I have to measure something beyond that, I'm incapable of doing it. Imagine taking that 25-foot measuring tape and measuring the distance from here to Boston. It's, it's, no, you can't do it, all right? It's really, you're, you'd be stupid to do it, right? It's, it's done. You need some other form of measurement. He's saying here, I perse- persecuted the church of God beyond measure. I am not able to measure how much persecution I committed against the church. I was zealous, he says, He tried to destroy it. Paul thought his intense persecution was motivated by God's will. We're we're talking in the context here of Galatians, we're talking about there are some some people coming in, they're troubling the church, he said earlier in this chapter. We looked at it last week. They're troubling the church. They're bringing wrong information. They're bringing wrong teaching. They're bringing a wrong gospel. And Paul was just like them when he was a man-pleaser. And so he thought his intense persecution was motivated by God's will. He was pursuing it passionately because he thought this is what God wants. In reality, he wasn't. Now let's go back to verse 12. Because he went from the persecutor to a preacher. Notice this first word. It says, uh, but I make known to you, brethren. I I think I'm highlighting a different but later. Maybe we'll get back to it. But I, I was expecting that word to be highlighted. I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. We, we kind of touched on this uh, last week and uh, some of the other attributes of the gospel. But God's will wasn't for Paul to be a persecutor of the church. God's will was for Paul to be a preacher. So what had to happen? A change. And he says, listen, this gospel that I'm preaching, this gospel is not according to man. It came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. How did you come to know the gospel? What was his or her name? For Paul, it was Jesus. Jesus shared the gospel with Peter. Jesus redeemed Peter and reoriented his life in a way that turned him from a persecutor to a preacher. It says here that he was neither taught, uh, he neither received it from man nor was taught the gospel, right? He, th- he's making a point. This, these wrong teachers, these false teachers are coming in. They're, they're actually uh, sharing information about Paul that's untrue. They're lying, whether they know it or not, which I... I don't know, but he's saying, listen, I have to correct this. So as we look at this, it reminds us about the previous attribute of God, and that is this. No other gospel has apostolic authority. Paul's an apostle. He's seen the risen Jesus Christ. He was commissioned by Jesus to this apostleship. He established that in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, not from men. And then he's kind of fleshing it out a little bit more here. 
But there's no other apostol there's no other gospel that's but but apostolic authority because there's no other gospel that has divine origin. And that's what he's just said here. It's a gospel he received from Jesus Christ directly. So Paul's apostleship was divinely instituted, but so is his gospel. And he's being, he's being lied about. These, these troublemakers are coming into the Galatian churches and saying that Paul's had a deficient gospel because he's a deficient apostle. He's not really an apostle. They, they are somehow communicating falsehoods about him because that's what Paul's addressing. So he's, he's not a, he, he went from being a man-pleaser to a God-pleaser when he was reoriented, he, from a persecutor to a preacher, but he also went from pursuing his will to pursuing God's will. And that's something that we can actually ask ourselves very easily, all right? And, and we will later, all right? But... But he said, listen, and I advanced in Judaism. He's giving his testimony. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. Paul's just giving a testimony. He's saying, this is my past life. I was advanced. I had my goals. I had my, my pursuits. But I was exceedingly ze uh, zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Uh, this is, he was driven he was driven like maybe you know people who are driven. People are driven to excel in, on Wall Street. People are, are driven to excel in politics or, or in the legal sphere, you know, or whatever it might be. People are driven. What drives you? Because we, as we talk about the gospel being the only gospel that can actually reorient us, do your passions, do your interests, do they need to be reoriented for the sake of the gospel? By the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, of the glory of God. Paul says, listen, I was all about being a Pharisee. He says elsewhere, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I excelled them all. I wasn't just zealous. I was exceedingly zealous. What was he zealous for? Exceedingly zealous for? Not necessarily just the word of God, although I think he would have said that in his prior, prior, prior to his conversion. He was zealous for the traditions of the fathers, which is Scripture plus, plus all the things that they added, all the, Pharise all the, the rules of the Pharisees. And that's why when we see it in our churches today, we need to rebel against the Pharisaical uh, uh, ways of doing things that somehow detract from the gospel or diminish the gospel. We need to be a church that is zealous for one thing and that's one thing only, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ that will glorify God. The, the zealous part really needs to be the glory of God, right? That's, that's number one. I do believe that fully. But I think God is well-pleased and well-glorified when people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul led these Galatians to the Lord, but something, some troublemakers come in. He's giving his testimony. He's saying, listen, I was driven but a change took place in Paul's life. He says, but, there's that word, verse 15. This is a powerful verse. He says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's not all of 15, uh, all of 16. We'll see the rest of it in a minute. But notice this. There's a contrast that's going to be taking place. Paul's saying, I was this. But a change took place in my life. What was that change? Well, we're going to see in this verse, we're going to see how this change took place in Paul's life. 
And this is probably how the change took place in your life for most of you. Uh, I will say at one level, it's definitely the way each of you were changed. Uh, we may not, you may not use those words. You may not have the theological depth that Paul has, but I'm saying you're going to say, I am no longer who I was, but I am who God says that I am. And in this word, we see that first of all, how did, how did this change take place in his life? It was God's initiative. God took the initiative in your life to save you. It wasn't through any work of your own. It wasn't because you were a nice person that you were capable of doing so many things. I'm, I'm saying this to you, but I'm just saying what was going on in my heart and mind. I thought I had to please God with my works. And God didn't save me because of my good works. God saved me because God chose to save me. He's the initiator, Paul says right here. But when it pleased God... Remember, we're, we're, our life will be reoriented by the gospel to please God. But when it pleased God, this is a different use of the word, but he said, when it pleased him. In other words, when it was time for God to work out plan A, which has never been plan B, it's always plan A, he, when it pleased God, he chose Peter. And that's the second part. It was God's initiative that was decided upon before Paul was ever conceived, and certainly before he was ever born, it says here, this, this God who was pleased separated me from my mother's womb. This idea of separated is not like, a, a, it's not describing the birth process. That's not what it's saying. It's saying before uh, uh, God had purpose for me that was discerned before the beginning of time is one way, and it's said elsewhere in Scripture that way. And, and then different translations flesh this out, and I probably should have put a different one up here. But it's, it's the idea of I was purposed before I was born. God had a plan. He initiated it. He decided upon it. He enacted it by His grace and His grace alone. He says, I, when I was in my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, this calling of God upon a life. Paul can sit up here and he could give a testimony as he's giving a testimony and say, God has called me for a purpose. People come up to, this, to the microphone and they say, I've been called for a purpose. My purpose is such and such. If I ask you to give a testimony, I think what I want to hear is, how has God purposed you? From before you were born, how has God purposed you? What has he done in such a way that you know that He is, through His grace, He has saved you. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. Yes, faith is involved. But how did you come by that faith? It's a work of God. It's God's initiative that He planned a long time ago, and He's called each of us, through His grace, for what purpose? Well, I'm sorry, here's the, the fourth how. This, for Paul, how did this change take place? Well, he experienced it at his conversion. This is the part that really kind of took me by surprise. I took this to mean one thing when I think it might mean two things. He says, all this happened to reveal his son in me. Our theme for the year is shine the light. Christ in us. Christ, that redeeming aspect of our new life in Christ. When, when that has taken place, we reveal Christ to our community the outworking of our faith, the outworking of the gospel doing its work. And, and what we see here is God initiated it, and, and ultimately the, Paul says that God revealed his son 
in me. Paul knew his salvation was real and genuine. On that road to Damascus, when Jesus appeared to him, everything changed, and he knew that he was in Christ. We don't know exactly how it all, all every split second of time when faith kind of came on the scene, but listen, I don't think it took long when Jesus said, Paul, it's me, the one you're persecuting. And we know from that moment on, once Jesus gave him back his sight uh, through Ananias, the Holy Spirit gave him back his sight through Ananias, he went and he preached the gospel. And he was saying, Jesus Christ is in me. But I also think there's an aspect of this as, you share, as he's sharing this testimony that he's, he's actually revealed his son in me and through me. That's that preposition in can be used both ways. In me and through me. And Paul was certainly seen to be that person to the Galatians when he led them to the Lord. He's seeking to reestablish that connection now. And he's saying, listen, it pleased God for all this to take place. You could read that verse and, and skip some of the commas and just say, but when it pleased God... He called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me. When it pleased Him, He saved me. That's what Paul is saying. And then we see in 15 also the why this change took place in his life, and that is he was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He was to be that one to go where the other disciples were not going. Although Peter went to Cornelius without a doubt, but Paul was specifically given this mission. He says that I might preach him among the Gentiles to whom he is writing right now. So at this point in the text, Paul responds to the wrong thinking of the Galatians, right? There was those that were causing troubles and there were some things going on. So he, he kind of addresses some of these concerns. We don't have both parts of the conversation. We only know Paul's part. But we do know that Paul's apostleship and his gospel were, were being questioned by these outsiders, by these troublemakers. We're going to see it throughout the book as we continue to study it. They were confusing the Galatians with wrong information, and Paul is trying to set the information. He's trying to set the, the record straight. He's reorienting them, in a sense. He clarifies his personal history to support his claim in verse 12. What's his claim in verse 12? He says, for I neither received it from man, speaking of the gospel, nor was I taught, uh, taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. So he, he's being very clear. This is what he's trying to, 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 to uh, clarify. So Paul preached what he received, again, not by men, but by Jesus, and not what he learned. He didn't learn it from men, and so that's what he's accomplishing here. He did not seek out others. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. When I came to faith in Christ, through meeting Jesus Christ, I didn't immediately pursue others. I also did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He didn't seek to go and, 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 uh, and, and sit at the feet of Peter and the other apostles and say, tell me more about Jesus. No, he met Jesus face to face. He, Jesus called him to be a, a messenger, an apostle of the gospel to the Gentiles. There is some aspect of this relationship where he was instructed by Jesus. He didn't need the other apostles. But these naysayers, these troublemakers are coming in and they're saying, no, he's just a secondary guy. He had to learn everything he learned secondhand. He's saying no. He says, 
I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. I wasn't interested in what man thought. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So, so he did not seek out others. It was many years before he went with other apostles, met the other apostles. So when he was, when he was in Damascus, when he left for Arabia and Damascus, there, again, all kinds of speculation. What did Paul do? What did he learn? Who, listen, we don't know. But what we do know is that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wasn't deficient in any way, shape, or form because he's, he says it was many years before he met with the other, other apostles. After three years, what went through, my ma- went through my mind was that Jesus went in the grave three days. Why didn't he just die on the cross and resurrect like an hour later? Well, there would have been those who were, who were kind of questioning, well, did he really die? Maybe he just swooned, as some people think, right? Which is wrong teaching. No, Jesus went in the grave three days, and it established he was dead. Like Lazarus was dead, he was dead. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the Scriptures. I think to myself, after three years, Paul goes to Jerusalem. There's no doubt Paul is his own man. Because this whole time, what we're supposed to understand is he's still preaching the gospel. The one he received from Jesus, not from the apostles. It was the gospel that he preached, which is the same gospel that Peter and all the other apostles preached. But he says, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Not a long time. Uh, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And we'll, we'll talk about James some other day when we go through, the, uh, through his letter, uh, his epistle, the epistle of James. We're not going to spend any time today on that. But wouldn't you love to have been present with Peter and Paul? It's been three years. I can see Peter thinking, uh, someone knocks at Peter's tent door, you know, tugs on it, whatever, rings the bell, whatever. Says, hey, there's a guy, Paul. He wants to meet with you. Says that he knows Jesus, right? They come into the tent. I'm sure at some level, Peter probably was originally like, yeah, that guy that was persecuting the church. Man, he kind of disappeared. I heard he got saved, but I don't really know much more about that. Knock, knock, knock. Peter, Paul comes in. Peter's probably like, Paul, tell me what happened. Where did you go? Where you have you been? Think about Paul's perspective. Man, I know what I experienced on the road to Damascus, but, man, that was like minutes, you know, maybe longer. But you were with him for years. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me what I don't know. Let's get together as brothers in Christ. Because he's saying it was three years and there must have been a wonderful dialogue. And I'm sure it was beautiful, but that wasn't the purpose of Paul's point here. We can can wander, wander all we want. Uh, Wonder, wander, whatever, wonder. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. I think we want to wonder, be in wonder, right? After three years, uh, Paul went to Jerusalem to see Peter and James. And it was like a, eh, no big deal. And then he emphasized this one little thing. It's in parentheses. He said, now concerning the things which I write to you, which is what he's writing right now, indeed, before God, I do not lie. He's been accused of being a liar. He's been accused of bringing a false gospel, a gospel that would include Jewish practices, ritual practices, and those type of things. We'll get into those later in the, in the letter. But he's saying, listen, 
Listen, just as I stand before you now, before God, I'm not a liar. These things I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you because you need to be reoriented in the gospel because someone has confused you and disoriented you. So Paul preached what he received, not what he learned. And then finally, we see that those who never met him glorified God because of him. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? There's a Christian song out there that uses that word. And, uh, and, the, and the author of the song, I, I always forget who writes these songs. I just know the little lyrics here and there. But it says, it's the idea of, I don't really want anybody to know my name. I just want people to know the name of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? That's what a reoriented life in the gospel does to a person. It says, it's not about me. It's all about him. And Paul says, those who never met him, those in the churches of Judea, they never met him, but they glorify God because of him. And that's what we're going to consider here in 21 through 24. It says, afterward, I went into the regions of uh, Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of D Judea, which were in Christ. So he's saying, listen, the, the churches in, in Judea and... Uh, Listen, that's, that's the other apostles' territory. I'm apostle to the Gentiles. I have to go where the Gentiles, not that they weren't also there, but it was dominantly Jewish. He says, but they were hearing only what? They were hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And let's remind ourselves, exceedingly jealous, or exceedingly zealous, excuse me, to destroy the church. With great passion, he saw. And, and now these churches, they hear of his testimony. Again, they hear it, but they don't necessarily know exactly what's going on. But now he's, he meets Peter and he meets James. And it says they glorify God in him. Remember our last attribute of the gospel from last week. It's not on the slide. There is no other gospel that glorifies God. This is the only one. And as we, as we consider this point, that no other gospel has the power to reorient a person's life to please God, when the power of the gospel reorients a life, God is pleased, God is glorified. And, I st and I'm just asking, are you in need of reorientation this morning? Do you need to be set right? Do you need to have a right understanding of, of, the, of the experiences that you've had over the last few days, few months, few years? Do you need to be reoriented in your relationship and understanding that you haven't arrived? If you're at odds with someone either in your home or outside, do you need to be reoriented and understand that it's through the power of the gospel that, that God can do a work in you to, to fix that relationship, mend that relationship, and please God and glorify Him? Is there some aspect of, of something I haven't even thought about? And you're saying, listen, I know I am, I am disoriented. I don't know which way is up. The gospel is the answer to that reorientation. Because God has created the gospel in such a way that it does all the things that we're talking about all at the same time, but certainly even as we go through our Christian life, we learn new depths of the gospel. So what we've considered this morning is how the gospel reoriented Paul's life. How has the gospel reoriented yours, or how does it need to? I can tell you this morning that my life is reoriented. Not just in this moment. I'm talking about my salvation. I was reoriented. I thought I was a God pleaser. 
based upon my own understanding of who I was and who other people were. It was not based on an understanding of who Jesus Christ was. And when I came to that understanding, I realized I was pursuing a false gospel. But Jesus reoriented me, and he saved me. He chose me. He called me. By his grace, I am God's. I'm reoriented in that capacity, but I have a constant need to be reoriented in the gospel as other things happen. And that's why the gospel is important every moment for every person. Are you a man-pleaser or God-pleaser? I'm a, I'm a man-pleaser. I, I, I discovered that about myself in a number of different ways. I don't have time to share. But I'm a man-pleaser in a sense I really want to do make people happy. But not in the way that Paul's saying it. I'm not motivated by pleasing you. I'm not motivated by pleasing others. You should not be motivated either by those things. You should be motivated by pleasing God through the power of the gospel. Are you a persecutor or a preacher? I kind of felt that that question was a little unfair, so I said, too strong maybe? Let's ask it a different way. Has God changed the way you relate to others? Paul, the way Paul related to the church, totally 180, right? Persecute, protect. Has God changed the way you relate to those in your life? Are you still at odds with somebody? Let the gospel invade you first before you go try to make it right with that other person. Are you active or passive in your Christian witness? There was nothing passive about Paul. I think this is probably one of the areas that most Christians today would struggle with. We kind of feel passive in our Christian witness, and we may be. It's something for us to pray about and ponder and say, I don't think God would want me to be passive in my witness. I think God would want me to be active in my witness. But what does that look like for you and for me? It, it's, it may be different. We're not just talking about witnessing at this point in terms of evangelism. This is, this is more than that. It's the way we pattern our life, not just the words that come out of our mouth. Are you pursuing your will or God's will? Because no other gospel has the power to reorient a person's life to please God. Because of that truth, we can be changed. As Paul was changed, as Abraham was changed, as Peter was changed, as James was changed. James, the brother of, of Jesus, who was not a disciple. It's believed that he didn't come to faith till after he saw the resurrected Jesus, his half-brother that he grew up with, who probably thought Jesus was crazy. And then when he saw him resurrected, he was like, oh boy. He got reoriented in a quick, uh, quick fashion. I pray that you will ask yourselves this morning if you're in a right relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. Do you need to come to faith in Jesus? We would love for you to understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His very Son died on that cross to pay for your sins and not His own. He's perfect. He was sinless. And that if you confess your sins, he will forgive you. That's what scripture says. Come to faith in Jesus this morning. If you have questions about that, you may need some help getting that reorientation. You're not Paul, all right? Uh, Jesus didn't appear to you face to face. Let's go ahead and sit down with the word of God and talk about how to reorient your life in such a way that it will glorify God. If you're a believer this morning, 
you've heard it five, six, seven times already. How would God have you reorient your life through the power of the gospel? Would you pray about that as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for the time that we have today to be challenged by your word, to be informed, as certainly, by what Paul was sharing. This is his life experience. This is, but it wasn't just to rehearse what went on in his life. It was for the purpose of helping the Galatians process what was going on in their midst. There were troublemakers. There were those who were confusing things, and he wanted to be a voice of clarity. Lord, I pray that a voice of clarity was heard this morning, that voice of the Holy Spirit coming into each of our lives, clarifying for us what needs need to be met in the power of the gospel. May you be glorified as people respond in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.